Hello, everybody. Uh, I'm Kia Ora. We have more than 300 people registered for today's session. Uh, welcome to you all and thanks for joining us. In today's webinar, we will talk um, about Austro's recent project that uh, provides advice on investing in physical infrastructure to support the operation of automated vehicles. My name is Ekaterina, I'm a communications officer at Ostroads, and I will be moderating today's session together with one of our presenters, uh, Andrew Sommers. Andrew will moderate the Q&A at the end um, of the webinar. First of all, I would like to acknowledge the Australian Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people as the custodians of the land from which we are broadcasting today. I pay my respect to all this past, present and emerging. I also acknowledge the Treaty of Waitani and Maori as the original people of New Zealand. A little bit about Austroads. Uh, we are the collective of Australasian transport and traffic agencies and our focus is to support our member organizations to deliver an improved road transport network. This project uh, was de delivered under the Future Vehicles and Technology Program, which is managed by VBK Matthews. A bit of housekeeping, um, so our presenters will speak for 40 minutes and then we will have a Q&A session uh, for about 15 minutes. We have a few handouts for you uh, for today's session. Uh, there are four reports and the slides and you can download all these documents from the handout section of your sidebar, uh, which you will find on the right hand side of your screen. To send us your questions for the Q&A, please use the questions icon on that sidebar. Um, if your question relates to any particular slide, uh, include the number of that slide in your message to help us answer your question as best as we can. Um, also, let us know if you have any technical problems, but just a quick tip, if you lose sound or your picture freezes, um, the issue is most likely with your internet connection. So closing your browser um, and rejoining the session using your email registration link usually helps. Um, this session is being recorded and we will let you know when the recording is available on our website. Um, and if you listen to podcasts, uh, you can find Ostrots in your podcast app. Um, and it gives me great pleasure to introduce our presenters for today, uh, Andrew Somers, uh, Dr. Simon Jouer, um, and Dr. Ellie Iranijad. Uh, we will first hear from project manager Andrew Somers. Um, Andrew is a specialist consultant in future mobility and ITS uh, and director of Transoptim. He has extensive experience in ITS and network operations with a focus on practical application of technologies. Our second presenter is Dr. Ellie Aranijad. Ellie has made a significant contribution to this project uh, in her former role as, um, as a principal professional um, and the next generation transport systems portfolio leader at the Australian Road Research Board. Um, she has over 16 years of commercial and research experience in the transportation engineering, modeling and planning sector. Um, and currently Ellie is a senior lecturer at the University of New South Wales. And our third presenter is Dr. Simon Jouer. Um, Simon is a transport economist in the sustainability and material performance team um, at the Australian Road Research Board. He specializes in undertaking policy and investment um, evaluations within the transport sector. Um, and for the Q&A, we will be joined by Dr. Charles Carl, uh, who is National Discipline Leader for Transport Services at the Australian Road Research Board, and who was also the overall project leader uh, for this project. So welcome to all our presenters, and over to you, Andrew. 
Well, thank you everyone for joining the, uh, the webinar today and thank you to uh, Katarina for the, uh, the introduction. The project team for this project, as Katarina indicated, I was project manager, uh, ARRB was the, uh, the consultant, uh, but really important is the working group of Austroads members right around Australia and New Zealand. And you can see a lot of names on the screen there. Uh, and I do wish to thank all of them and the names that we also weren't able to fit onto the screen. We had a lot of support from, uh, from agencies throughout this project. It involved a number of technical disciplines, so we often had more than one person involved in the jurisdiction, um, considering different questions around infrastructure or uh, economic evaluation. And, and their input was really invaluable to, to shaping the project and um, helping the project evolve towards its final outcome. The purpose of the project to advise road agencies on appropriate infrastructure investments to support the operation of connected and automated vehicles with a focus on the automated word there. Specifically, we're providing advice to look at what types of infrastructure should be prioritised for further investment and also updates the standards. Uh, the sort of time frame for that prioritised investment to occur, is it now or is it some later time? And some indication of the scale needed for that investment. The scope focus on physical infrastructure, so pavements, roadside signage, lines, bridges, etc. But we do recognise that there's an interdependence between physical and digital infrastructures. And many different gaps that do exist can be solved by either or or some combination of the two. And we looked right across the breadth of different investment types, you know, physical infrastructure types, to work out sort of what sort of areas should we focus, yes, investment. Uh, but also updates to technical guidance that, that would enable that investment. To answer this question, the project went through sort of a sequential build-up approach to arrive at the ultimate conclusions and those you'll find in the Part A document attached. That's the investment advice for road agencies. To get there, we started off by looking at future uptake scenarios in terms of when connected automated vehicles are likely Firstly, to arrive and then to, to penetrate into the fleet. And that's really important to understand the benefits across the forward period and also those sort of questions around appropriate timing. We looked at different investment options and in physical infrastructure in terms of what are the sorts of things, a really broad range of things that you could do to support connected automated vehicle uptake uh, and operation. Uh, and then looked at the economic value, viability of investment options, and that was then followed by strategic assessment. So real sort of stepping through those report part B, part C, part D, that provide the underpinning basis for the advice that's provided in part A. Uh, with that, I'll hand over to, um, to the ARB team to present the, um, the findings of the project, starting with, the, with Ellie. Um, and just a reminder, if you do have questions, please use that questions icon on the sidebar to, to, to ask your question, if it relates to a certain slide, to, to include that slide number. Thank you, Ellie. Thank you, Andrew. Um, I hope you can see my slides. Um, okay, good afternoon, everyone, and thanks for joining the session this afternoon. I will be talking about future demand and the required infrastructure items to support the emerging driving scenarios. Before um, jumping uh, into the findings, please let me also acknowledge our national and international peer reviewers and consultees. 
particularly executive managers listed in this slide. Throughout the project, after each phase, we corroborated our findings with the international expert panel to ensure that we have um, we have had a consistent approach and a common understanding of where the CAV industry is heading to. Also, uh, in the end, we validated the recommendations on investment options with the executive uh, road managers from different states uh, to make sure that our advice and its format is pragmatic and suitable for uh, different jurisdictions. So let's first start with definitions. Uh, for establishing what are the future driving scenarios, we adopted the SAE international standards, which introduces five levels of driving scenarios. It is, however, understood that uh, in the real world, these levels are not so much discrete. These, um, there are vehicle models that are operating between these levels, for instance, level three slash four, so uh, we further categorized, uh, categorized them into three classes. The first category is the human-driven vehicles, HDV, which corresponds to level zero of SAE level and are entirely operated by human drivers. Uh, second category was called uh, low-level CAVs, uh, which are vehicles equipped with advanced driving support systems or so-called ADAS. These vehicles still require continuous human interaction, such as hands-on wheel, and correspond to level one and two of the SAE level, levels. Uh, for instance, uh, Tesla's autopilot system offered in 2020 exemplifies um, this class of vehicles. The third category is the high-level CAVs, uh, HCAV, uh, which are vehicles capable of self-driving that allow human drivers to take their hands off the driving wheel um, in their operational design domains and uh, correspond to level three plus of SAE um, classifications. So the starting point of this project was to establish the future driving scenarios in terms of when, how, and where autonomous vehicles uh, will become available in Australia and New Zealand. Uh, the timeline in this slide uh, presents the uh, global availability of high-level CAVs, which is based on OEM announcements in the first half of 2021. This timeline is likely to have been delayed due to the pandemic, though. Um, this information was key to our understanding uh, and our development of future automated driving scenarios as it enabled us to anticipate the point in time where higher level of, uh, levels of calves will first become available in the market. So you can see that some major manufacturers were looking to make significant progress in 2021 and 22 onwards. However, it is expected that in the earliest stages, um, of market availability um, of these vehicles. Highly automated vehicles will be um, sold with a significant price premium and may have also limited performance due to limited operational design domains. Uh, while low-level uh, automated vehicles such as Tesla currently operate on our roads, highly automated vehicles, meaning level three plus, uh, will not become available in short term. And also based on the consultations and also looking at the historical electric vehicle uptake rate um, in Australia and New Zealand, we came to a consensus that the Australasian AV market will most likely lag behind uh, for something around three to five years. So we assumed four years of um, time lag. 
We then uh, developed a plausible optech scenarios for different transport tasks, meaning for private use, transit, first, last mile, commercial vehicles, and for long haul heavy vehicles. Uh, this was achieved by looking at the literature, um, the literature on willingness to adopt, um, the stakeholder consultations, the existing optic scenarios nationally and internationally, and also assuming uh, that four-year time lag that I mentioned. Uh, this figure, however, only present a, medi a medium scenario for different transport tasks. Uh, the medium scenario represents moderate technology development and moderate global AV uptake. We also provided the high and low sensitivity case scenarios to reflect um, forecast uncertainties, such as uncertainties on technological advancement or policies that could either accelerate or decelerate the uptake. Uh, you can find more details in the Part B report after this session about the high um, and low case um, scenarios. Uh, the medium scenario, uh, which is presented here, assumes that the passenger vehicles and robo-taxis equipped with advanced uh, driver support systems, level one and two, um, are expected to hit the market as soon as 2025. And uh, in the part B, uh, you can also find uh, the forecast of market share, which is the share of different levels of automation among fleets. Uh, we also forecast the different rates of uptake for different jurisdictions and scalability of different operational design domains, meaning different type of roads, like motorways, uh, arterial roads, and etc. So I refer you to the part B of this report if you're interested to read more about uh, these forecasts. Um, based on different jurisdictions. Uh, but in summary, we can conclude um, from, from this figure, um, you can see that we can conclude that highly automated vehicles are likely to become widely available for private use after 2035. The highly automated transit fleets, uh, commercial vans and long haul heavy vehicles will become commercially available in the following years. And meanwhile, the market for um, the market of highly automated passenger cars starts to grow. Uh, this indicates that the initial scope of infrastructure changes may only be limited to improving the existing infrastructure, but um, will be in wide scale. For example, harmonizing roadside signage and upgrading line markings throughout the network. Uh, the infrastructure changes to support the transit and freight vehicles would be, uh, would be limited uh, to a specific locations and are expected to happen later, um, not now. For example, dedicated lanes for transit or semi-transit um, or uh, long-haul uh, freight vehicles. Building upon uh, the plausible future demand that I presented in the previous slide, we then identified necessary changes in physical infrastructure as potential investment options that are expected to play a key role in enabling or road blocking uh, the operation of CAFs. The key output here is a list of CAF supporting uh, infrastructure actions that road agencies may implement within a specific region road type or different time frames. We've only listed the headings here, uh, I have to mention that, uh, but part C report represent more um, details on the, each heading in terms of the gaps and requirements in upgrading either the standards in design or maintenance. 
there are more details of what do we mean from each of these investment items as well. Uh, for example, from um, the AV specific pavement design uh, that I've listed here, um, what we meant was uh, strengthening pavement that is more resistant to rotting because we know that due to lane keeping assistance, the pavement uh, rot faster. Uh, so please ask your questions in the Q&A chat box if you are not sure what these investment options mean or alternatively refer to the part C of report and read more. Uh, so let's have a closer look at these items. If you look at the columns, uh, you can see that we categorize these infrastructure items into four classes. Class one and two are beneficial for both human drivers and high level calves. Class one upgrades, um, uh, while class, uh, class 1 is about upgrades, while class 2 are new infrastructure items. Uh, class 3 and class 4 are only beneficial for CAFs, uh, with class 3 focusing on upgrades of infrastructure and class 4 uh, is about new infrastructure items, which are only CAF specific. Uh, the investment types uh, are also classified based on the operational design domains in different roles. Uh, you can see that some investment items are applicable to all row types, um, for instance, uh, harmonizing uh, signage or line marking, while some other um, are only limited to motorways or arterials or rural roads. Uh, Short-term investments, uh, as you can see, um, should focus on supporting the safe operation of ADAS-enabled vehicles, such as um, harmonizing traffic signs, line marking, resolving issues related to work zone and school zone signage, and also readability of traffic signs. These investments will support relatively basic modifications to existing road assets, so that the uh, perceptual errors made, be, uh, made by current calves uh, will be also minimized. Uh, in the medium term, when more cabs are adopted for passenger uh, passenger travel, both private and transit modes, then investments supporting the development of new and dedicated infrastructure may be justified. Uh, these investments could uh, be safe stopping areas on motorways or cab pickup and drop off areas or uh, robot transit dedicated lanes. Uh, in the long term, when automated driving is ad adopted for commercial and freight tasks, investments should focus on amplifying the productivity and efficiency benefits for CAFs. Uh, these investments that are envisaged in the long term include dedicated lane for automated trucks, um, perhaps on nighttime shift, um, uh, remote parking facilities, teleoperation facilities, and also mobility hubs. Let me also reiterate the focus of this report was only on physical infrastructure. However, uh, there is a big table in Part C report, table 4.2, where uh, we discuss the likelihood of closing the gaps by digital infrastructure or advancements in sensors. Uh, the likelihood uh, was based on the evidence in the literature or commonly suggested by the AV experts um, during our stakeholder or international expert panel consultations. And uh, yeah, so this table wouldn't be readable if I put it here, but uh, this exercise enabled us to further incorporate the uncertainties of these investments um, uh, and these requirements into our economic analysis. 
Uh, and also you can see that some of these items are in bold font. Uh, these are the infrastructure elements that are considered to have a greater role and were recommended for further economic analysis in the next step. Uh, the economic feasibility of these investment options was then analyzed uh, in the next step. And without a further ado, I hand it over to my colleague Simon to present the findings of economic analysis. And thank you everyone again uh, for coming to today's webinar. I hope everyone can see my screen. Uh, let me just check on that. Oh, great. Yeah. So my name is Simon Shue. Uh, I'm a senior transport economist at ARP. So I helped with developing phase three and four of this project. Phase three um, of this project focused on evaluating the economic merit of individual investment options identified in phase two. And these evaluations were based on the well-established CBA methodology developed by uh, ATAP. Phase four uh, focused on developing recommendations on the investment approach in terms of priority, level of investment, and other supporting actions uh, that may be, that may be undertaken by road agencies and ostrots. So I will first present the key messages from phase three and then phase four. Sorry. Um, so this table uh, lists the investment options that have been evaluated in phase three and how we have estimated the investment costs. So you can see a total of 12 investment options were evaluated. Uh, and, and you can also see that there is a wide a range of difference in terms of complexity and demand uh, in terms of capital input. So the costs shown here are the upfront costs for upgrading uh, or constructing a single unit of the underlying infrastructure asset. So a challenge that we faced was to properly cost some of these infrastructures as they are not yet seen in Australia. Such um, these are include dedicated lanes for AVs uh, as well as remote parking facilities for AVs. So to address this challenge, we adopted the unknown costs of similar projects or analogous projects as proxies this approach is also recommended by ATAP um, based on the strategic nature of this assessment. We also, so that's why we note here that these um, investment uh, economic analysis are not representing um, the kind of economic feasibility studies uh, that's typically undertaken at the planning or design stage, because for these assessments, you need more robust cost estimates. Uh, for the CBA, a number of the uh, investment options assessed the network level, whereas others are assessed at the unit level. So the network evaluations is needed to recognize the extensive network presence of some of the assets, such as line marks, line markings, signage, and signals. Whereas unit level evaluation is reserved for high value investment, uh, investments over a million dollars per unit. These include grade separation or interchanges and or at interchanges as well as um, remote parking facilities. Uh, we have also assessed the recurring operation costs uh, for each of these investment options, and they can be found in Part D of the report. Okay, so the net economic benefits of each investment option was assessed 
uh, by weighting the, the operating and the capital costs. Uh, again, it's, it's expected benefits um, on crash reduction, travel time, vehicle operating cost, as well as its uh, benefits to the environment. So from this analysis, we have found three key findings. So in terms of economic viability, it is found that line markings, road signage, as well as traffic signals are highly likely to be economically justified with strong positive net benefits. Investing in safe stopping zones and remote parking facilities are also expected to generate significant benefits, but they may be become unviable due to their significant cost. That's why they are classified as um, inconclusive in terms of economic analysis, because their economic viability is more sensitive to the CBA modeling assumptions um, than other investment options. A second finding is that the benefits to human drivers can dominate the economic, uh, assess, uh, the economic benefits. The analysis found that two biggest drivers of economic feasibility are the safety and the economic benefits attributed to human drivers. This is due to the low numbers of CAVs uh, anticipated in the early stages of the assessment period. This suggests that high payoff investments will be will likely to be those that's considered as no to low regret investment options that also benefit human drivers. Other options, including those with high investment levels built specifically to support uh, highly automated vehicles, are unlikely to be economically justified when market penetration of these vehicles is low. The third finding we found from this analysis is that there's little to no benefit to delay the high priority investments we have just identified. This is based on a real option assessment for the line marking signage and signals, investment options. So the rationale uh, for this funding is that the savings made by the waiting period, by, by the delaying of the investments, do not compensate the foregone benefits uh, to the human drivers over the waiting period. The details of the real option analysis can be found uh, in Part D uh, report. So based on um, the feedback uh, on the economic analysis result we received from the project working group, we realized that the economic merit should not be only based through the lens, uh, the, sorry, the, the merit, the investment merit of the individual investment option should not only be through the lens of economic, uh, economic uh, benefits, as each of these investment options may also have strong strategic value that cannot be properly uh, monetized. So what we mean by strategic value is the role of individual investment options they play in contributing towards the adoption of the CAVs in Australia. Um, it is common that highly utilized transport infrastructure have poor business cases. Consequently, an uneconomic investment option may be strategically important. And therefore, investment prioritizations should consider both economic feasibility as well as strategic, strategic value. So importantly, our CBA methodology enabled us to consider the economic merit and strategic value independently, as we have assumed that CAB uptake is independent uh, to the quality and availability of physical road infrastructure 
in our uh, economic analysis methodology. So to provide further clarity of what we mean by strategic value, uh, unfortunately, there is a dearth of research on the relationship between infrastructure quality and vehicle choices. So to, to address this gap in, uh, in knowledge, we use a simple demand and supply framework to identify the potential uh, drivers of strategic value of infrastructures. So on the supply side, uh, high strategic value is related to the relate relative criticality on assets of assets that has that they have that the role the criticality of the role they play in readying the road for automated driving. So to assess uh, the criticality um, of the assets in this aspect, we ask two questions: Can the function of the asset be easily replaced by alternative solutions such as, such as HD maps or sensor te uh, technology or sensor technology? Second question we ask is, does uh, the asset improve the perceptual accuracy of the CAVs, which is known as the, one of the key uh, or most important roles when it comes to the safety of the um, automated vehicles on the road. On the demand side, we ask, also ask two questions. Um, it relates to the impact of the asset on the willingness to adopt automated driving by personal, for personal use and for business and commercial use. So the figure that we're shown here is meant to show that the answer to these questions affects or shift the demand and supply curve, leading to more CAVs being purchased in the market. Okay, so this table represents a multi-criteria analysis based on the framework we just presented. The scores assigned to different answers and to the assessment questions to generate an overall score that represents the strategic value of the investment options. Here, the investments are ranked by their strategic value shown in the last column. Uh, investment options that are found to have top strategic value are signage standardization, work zone adaptations, as well as improving AV readability, readability of traffic, sig uh, traffic signals. Um, the prioritization matrix shown here puts the economic merit of each investment option uh, against the perspective of strategic, strategic values. Scores are also assigned to economic merits. Um, a high score corresponds to economically justified investment option, median for the inconclusive ones, and low for the rest. A combined priority score can be calculated by summing um, both scores for the economic value as well as, as well as the strategic value. Here, top priority scores are attained by harmonizing traffic signage as well as improving readability of traffic signals. Improvement for the line markings comes next, and it is followed by safe stopping zones as well as uh, work zone changes. So this slide presents the summarized version of the recommended investment options uh, actions. For each high priority in, investment option, uh, the timing, the intensity, and the complexity of the investment are recommended. Um, for low priority options, further conditions uh, are, are provided 
in order for the investment to be justified. It is noteworthy that high priority uh, investments here are relatively uncomplicated uh, changes uh, when it comes to the when it comes to the, um, the changes and the design of the changes, but they can be quite significant in terms of skill, um, given the presence, uh, given their presence throughout the network. So we also estimated uh, the scale of the investment that may be required for individual investment options. So the table you see here uh, are for upgrade or uh, for in investment upgrades. Part A report also provides uh, investment le uh, levels estimated for new infrastructures, such as safe stopping zones, as well as remote parking facilities. So the basic intuition here for these results is that no investment is justified if uh, the investment option has been found to be econo uneconomic. And um, the scale of the justified investment depend on the quality gap between the current and the target standard um, of the underlying asset, infrastructure asset. The current quality we referenced uh, in this analysis are based on the AV readiness uh, um, audit report prepared by Austros in 2020. Um, given that there is some time that's passed since then, um, for line markings especially, we have also accounted for the development in sensor technology for visualizing line markings since then to come up with the um, level of investment that's required for that particular option. So that concludes the analytical part of the project. Uh, the following two slides are about the recommendations um, that we, uh, the project team has produced based on the findings of this project. So as conclusions to this project, the project team identified eight general recommendations for road agencies to consider. The top of the list are related to investment recommendations, specifically for high priority options. Um, they are, for example, um, the top um, recommendation are to improve the reliability of road signs and traffic signals as well as undertaking targeted upgrades for line markings. So beyond immediate investment actions, further investigation are recommended to solidify the understanding of more complex and dedicated investments for highly uh, advanced, for highly automated vehicles. Recommendations for local governments are also provided, and this is for them to focus on the short-term or the immediate investments we have identified. Finally, road agencies are also recommended to undertake community engagement as well consider related uh, infrastructures to, that may support uh, CAV operations in Australia. So the details of this recommendation can be found in part A report. So we have also identified um, some recommendations for um, Austros to consider as part of their future programs. On the top of the list, uh, a need to reassess the uh, infrastructure investments that we have identif identified here, given that um, there is rapid um, te technological development in the space of automated driving. Other um, recommendations for Austros include providing technical guidance 
when it comes to the design and the standards uh, for improving signs, signals, and line markings to support automated writing. This includes the minimum um, uh, specifications as well as um, the situations where um, or specific areas where the um, investment may be required. Uh, the for other more uh, less immediate investment options, Austros are recommended to undertake um, research projects that were looking to the exact nature of these uh, infrastructures when it comes to supporting uh, highly advanced um, or highly automated vehicles, and this uh, may be dependent on the availability of these vehicles uh, in the marketplace when they become more commonplace. Uh, so this concludes the, uh, the project presentation. And um, I'd like to thank you for your time. And the next session is about uh, question and answer session. Thank you. OK. Might ask the uh, other presenters, the uh, people on the Q&A panel to bring their cameras on as well. Um, and uh, we've received a, a good set of questions to encourage people to, to send through further questions. And, uh, uh, and thank you to the presenters for, for sharing um, their expertise so far. Uh, the first question that uh, we've got um, relates to, to slide 16. So not sure over Katarina if you've got control back of the, uh, the slides yet, but um, if you do, slide 16, thank you. Um, so the question comes in, so track platooning is one of the um, potential early adoption uh, free systems. It's certainly a view that it will be a, um, one of the more advanced adoption systems and we've seen a lot of the interest there. How does this um, sort of sales forecast reflect the potential earlier adoption of commercial rather than private vehicles. I suppose, how did you arrive at uh, private vehicles leading commercial vehicle adoption as opposed to the other way around, given that interest in things like truck platooning? Yes, may I answer that, Andrew? Yes, yes. So about truck platooning, um, I would say that it's more uh, level uh, two, uh, which is uh, which means that actually there is a human driver already, uh, but then uh, for you know keeping the gap and everything, then um, it, it, there would be some driving support system. Uh, the uh, forecast that you can see in this slide is about highly automated vehicles at level three plus, which means that. Uh, the human driver um, can, uh, you know, uh, get their hand off uh, the driving. But but then um, uh, again, that's the sale forecast, which means the newly um, vehicles that will be sold uh, in the market. And um, so uh, yes, uh, did I answer your question or? Yeah, I think that that, that, that it does. It's sort of um, yeah. It's Perhaps also uh, something for an offline discussion. Um, uh, we might we might expand on a little bit more in the um, the written answers. So I should add that in the event we don't get to your question today, we will provide written answers. Um, there's a little bit more specifics in that question that are probably best um, dealt with in the written answers. Um, we did receive through a number of questions. If we jump to slide 17, uh, Katarina. 
Um, so this will be a question for Ellie as well. Received a, a few questions from different people who were, I suppose, curious in different manners at the inclusion of grade separated interchanges uh, and only for rural highways. Um, it's listed there for rural, but not for urban. Uh, my understanding this is partly because we'd seen some crashes that happened early with driver assist systems, albeit using them as if they weren't, um, and some indications of hesitancy from automotive vehicle developers. But do you want to expand a little bit more on why this was included, um, sort of the results for this particular infrastructure type, and, and why only rural and not urban? Yes, uh, so um, based on the discussions that we had uh, with our uh, consultees, it was raised that uh, one of the critical issues, particularly on rural um, areas, that um, there's no traffic signal and, um, you know, the, like rural highways, that uh, the speed would be 70, 80 kilometer per hour. Um, and uh, so um, these intersections, there can't be any like signal um, and usually it's a, like yield uh, stop sign and um, they're very prone to uh, accidents and it would be very critical for um, and very dangerous for uh, highly automated vehicles. And uh, why is just rural highways? Uh, because uh, I believe that we don't have too many on uh, motorways and it's about highways, not any uh, intersection. Um, yeah. Okay. Thanks, Ellie. We've got now to slide 25, and this question's for, for Simon. Um, and so often in this project, we sort of have to confront that the vehicles have a slow turnover, you know, vehicle service life, uh, 15, 20 or more years. Um, it's been pointed out to us and reminded that infrastructure has an even longer service life. Um, once it's built, it might be in place for 50 or 100 years. Um, so on that basis, do you want to talk a little bit more about if we know that within that 50 or 100 years automated vehicles are likely to come, why are we suggesting that we'd, some investments are still not for today? So some are recommended for today and others we're saying, look, defer, uh, defer and wait. Um, why are we suggesting to defer and wait? Um, thank you for the question. So. So the primary reason for the deferred and wait is due to the fact that um, they are being classified as, uh, in terms of priority as low. So prior, investment priority are based on two dimensions. The first one, the economic benefits, and then net economic benefits, as well as um, the, um, the strategic importance of the, um, of the infrastructure asset. So if we have found that they are low on either side of the um, assessment scale, then um, they are, we, so we, instead of saying that they are bad investment, we should not go ahead, we're suggesting that there are possibilities in the future that the uptake or the usage or demand for the CAVs in the marketplace may very well become, um, um, they, they justify uh, these investments. So I believe that for the majority of the deferred uh, options, they uh, are either supporting specific uh, vehicles, such as highly uh, supporting highly automated vehicles, and due to the low uh, market penetration of these uh, type of vehicles, uh, they are they do not appear justified right now. But this could change in the future, as I said, 
that's why uh, we recommend them to be delayed. Um, so it is really a demand side of uh, the equation, un uh, understanding that uh, the infrastructures have long lifespans, but um, so I, I, I get what you're saying is that if we foresee some of these investments, um, um, if we see that there's definitely uptake in the future, and given that there's long lifespans, we should probably start investing now. Um, so that is true, but however, we're not saying that this should be delayed forever, uh, or uh, that, and that is why one of the recommendations is to review this assessment for the delayed investments uh, within at least uh, 10 years uh, time to um, assess them again in the future. I hope that answers your questions. Yep, thanks Simon. Uh, I might jump now to slide 20. So this question is also about the economic analysis. Uh, so the economic analysis for the um, benefits from the infrastructure investment included as you've listed there, safety and travel time improvements. Uh, so the question is sort of, there's a couple of parts to this. The first is, were there any disbenefits for connected automated vehicles uh, adoption, be it sort of crashes that are newly created resulting from machine failures, et cetera. So were there any disbenefits from CAVs included in there? Uh, but also, did the assessment go into a broader cost-benefit assessment of the introduction of CAVs, including the cost of the CAVs themselves, or was it really a return on investment just in that infrastructure type? Okay, so to answer the first question, um, the, I suppose the safety uh, impact of the CAVs are based on the average impact they're expected to have. Uh, granted, there are instances of machine uh, failures when it comes to automated driving, uh, but based on the advice for the um, automated functions as provided by uh, the CAVs and the research we have reviewed, uh, is that overall they provide a positive um, benefit when it comes to safety impacts for those functions. And that's the, that is why uh, I get I suppose that's how we assessed the safety benefits. Um, um, that is um, the first question. The second question is about, um, sorry, can you remind me again, Andrew, what's the second question? The second question is really, I suppose, where did this end in terms of the analysis? Was it just the return on investment, um, some sort of partial BCA in, in, in the infrastructure investment? Or was it looking at a total evaluation of connected automated vehicles, including the cost yeah. of those cabs, et cetera? Okay, great, thank you. Thank you for asking that question. That is also an important question. Um, so we have made a dedicated effort in this assessment to make sure that the assessment is purely based on infrastructure and not related to the cabs. Uh, this is to avoid the, uh, I suppose, the, uh, the overestimation of the benefits of the investments so that our the benefit or the marginal impact or the marginal benefits that's attributed to this investment are entirely based on the infrastructure. Now granted that there is a possibility that infrastructure through improving infrastructure there could be a higher demand uh, in CAVs and CAVs are known to have uh, those safety and productivity benefits. But um, in order to isolate the impact of the infrastructure, we have made a specific assumption 
there's no impact on infrastructure quality on the vehicle choices, as I mentioned um, in this uh, the presentation earlier. But we have not neglected uh, that impact, and that is why we have introduced the strategic value aspect of it as a qualitative um, investment option to add the additional layer on um, the impact on um, CAV adoptions. I hope that answers your question. Thanks. Thanks, Simon. We'll jump now to slide 13 on this one. This is a question for, for Ellie. Uh, so I think people were impressed that the project working group was nice and broad and diverse and that there's a lot of industry stakeholders here. Um, but the question is, uh, what about local governments, uh, urban or rural local government? Um, were they consulted? And, and if not directly consulted, how did you factor those perspectives into the assessment? Yes, so one of our consultees was um, Moray, um, uh, I forgot his surname, uh, from uh, the local government. And um, I, I believe that we had also another representative in our uh, project working group as well. So Moray has a very extensive experience in different local governments, um, uh, Redland uh, Council and a few others. Um, uh, which actually yeah, um, we had uh, one hour very uh, very productive consultation and we could yeah take his uh, input okay. Thank and, you. and having uh, said that uh, when oh sorry uh, so um, also when we um, validated our results with the executive road managers uh, for instance Doug Morgan from MRWA or Amanda from TMR also uh, we could take uh, you know their broad and inclusive um, opinion about uh, local uh, about issues on the local uh, roads as well yeah. thank you um, I might throw this question to Charles for sort of a, a broader perspective. I think that uh, the presentation touched nicely in a couple of locations on how digital infrastructure was considered, um, certainly within the scope of the products of sitting on the edge of it as an interaction uh, in the strategic prioritisation as an alternative. Um, and, and so it, it was covered, but the, the question's still really, you know, I suppose, asking for a temperature check, if you like, Charles, on up to what extent or yeah, how significant relatively is digital infrastructure likely to be as an alternate for physical infrastructure investments to close these gaps? Is it a little bit, a lot, um, you know, in a sense, is it, is, it a bigger, is it a bigger topic than what we looked at here or, or something that sits nicely alongside it? Sure. Thanks, Andrew. Uh, I think what has happened in the last uh, 10 to 15 years is that we've gradually had a rollout of uh, digital infrastructure across the physical infrastructure of our network. So if you look at connectivity and so forth, uh, it's not just happened in our homes and in our offices, but across the road network as well. And uh, that is going ahead in leaps and bounds. And the whole business case for 5G is that we have this huge bandwidth and low latency. Uh, so how we use all of this technology in the future, uh, we can already see some signs. Uh, and it goes, it's quite pertinent to, I think, the second question uh, about why talk about great separation for rural highways. And uh, I, I suppose the, the, the technology solution is the 5.9 uh, V2V 
you know, warnings and 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 so on. So, so uh, if if we do have that rollout across uh, rural and uh, remote Australia, then uh, that obviously is uh, another alternative. Uh, the the other thing, Andrew, if I could just say something, is that when we look at uptake, uh, there was a slide that Ellie put on where we she started off with 2020 and ended with 2050. That's 30 years. And if you look at the horse and carriage and the motor car, uh, I think you can see some pictures of Melbourne or Sydney in 1900 where we had the horse and carriage and the trams. And then 30 years later, we sort of flipped to the motor car. So uh, when you look at that question on infrastructure, service life, and uh, uh, you know what is our focus on that physical infrastructure, I guess the answer to that is we haven't yet worked out what the concept of operations will be on our network, whether it's on our you know high street or on our motorway. And, and that relates very much to strengthening the pavement, you know, where the trucks will go. And associated with all of that is the new charging infrastructure with uh, electric and uh, zero emission uh, fuel cells and so forth. So I find that sometimes we are in the days where we are managing for the horse and carriage and we can see the first motor cars appear. And, and perhaps, as Simon said, maybe a review of the recommendations in five or 10 years, because in the next five or 10 years, all of us will be so much more expert and, and the whole community will have a much stronger view about how they would like to see the roads operating with highly advanced connected and automated vehicles. Thank you. Okay, thank you. There's, um, we'll take two more questions, or as in I'll, I'll work through two more questions that we've got here and then the will um, deal with in terms of or respond to it in writing. Uh, first of them, if we can jump to slide 15, it's probably the best background for this. Uh, so we can see on this slide, this question's for Ellie, but there's all sorts of different providers of technology and they're all using different technology stacks. How do you deal with the variances in that and coming up with what's required? They need different things. Are we taking with the lowest denominator, the best or something in between? Yes, that's a very good question. We know that uh, these OEMs have different approach to automation. Some of them are map-based, some of them are camera-based, some of them are LiDAR-based, and uh, we did um, you know, our best to consult with all of these different OEMs to, uh, to have a broad range of their requirements. Um, and um, but having said that, um, based on the, if you look at like the price of the vehicles, I would say that the most common or the most uh, affordable um, uh, vehicle, automated vehicle, uh, would be more camera based. Um, and um, at least right now. Uh, so the, the recommendations was uh, mostly based on um, uh, the, uh, the requirements of, um, you know, um, um the uh, the common approaches and also the minimum uh requirement that all of these uh oems uh, would have okay. and i suppose one further question to add to the um, complexity we're talking about here or the variances we've been reminded recently that um, there's a lot of water over roads or floods or 
um, obscuration of line markings and the like under different conditions. Um, obviously, significant parts of the world have snowfall um, that also covers things like road markings. I suppose, to what extent would that variance in climate conditions factored into the assessment of, of what's needed uh, for CAVs in there? Again, very good question. Uh, so, for instance, in terms of uh, wet and dry retro reflectivity of line marking, uh, the requirements we relied on uh, the audits that a previous Austroad project did in 2019, and um, also the other Austroad reports that was published, as well as again talking to different OEMs and their experience on Australian road, and uh, for uh, you know tailoring the the advice about uh, requirements again. Um, we looked at different temperatures, like if, uh, for instance, there were some recommendations in United States or European countries for snowy roads and, um, uh, for instance, about the sliding, uh, you know, pavement and these things that we, we took it into account uh, when we were mm -hmm. tailing that voice for the Australian climate and temperature. Okay, thank you. Um, and Ellie, if we can just jump to slide 17, I'll, I'll finish off by responding to one last uh, question and then we'll hand over for that webinar to close. So the question is, um, if you look sort of uh, in the, towards the bottom right, semi-dedicated transit lanes appears there. Uh, and, and the question is, well, was the evidence here that transit infrastructure was, was too expensive for the benefits or is this to do with AVs? And I think it's a useful question to finish on because it sort of shows the nuance that we had to work through in the recommendations. Um, so we do specifically address that within the, um, uh, it'll be the part D report, I believe, that, that, that Simon wrote. Uh, and the answer is that we're not making, taking a view uh, on um, dedicated transit infrastructure that, that requires its own assessment and it can often be quite positive. Uh, what we're saying is, should you do a dedicated transit lane for assisting automated adoption. Um, and that's a sort of part of the question we're able to answer. Um, so that it was difficult to make the case to have a transit lane for automated vehicle purposes. Um, but if you do have a transit lane, making it suitable for automated vehicle purposes is a different question. Um, so that's probably a good one to finish with because it's sort of, it's a reminder that when you look at these recommendations, the answer really does depend on the nuance and the specifics in the question. Uh, we have tried to cover that in the reports, and I would encourage people who are interested to, to look at those. Uh, other than that, thank you very much for the audience, for your attention, and a very good set of questions. Um, thank you to the presenters today for your, for your participation and addressing these questions. Um, and uh, one final note that's sort of come through is the recommendations. Yes, it is. It's Australia and New Zealand, not just Australia, that this report was for. Sometimes we can be lazy on this side of Tasman and, and, and pretend that New Zealand is part of Australia. It, it, it isn't. We have no master plan to change that. Um, so, uh, yes, this is a report relevant to New Zealand as well. Um, and, yes, thank you to our program manager for, uh, for reminding us of that. And with that, I'll, I'll hand back to Katarina. Thanks so much, Andrew and everybody. Yeah, I just have a couple of slides to finish the session. Uh, as you can see on your screen, we have three webinars coming up. Okay. Uh, so for more information, just um, visit our website and uh, register if you haven't already. Um, and you can also subscribe to our news alerts. Um, and as usual, uh, once we close out today's session, uh, there will be questionnaire. Please take a couple of minutes um, 
and um, give us your feedback. It really helps us to know what you liked or didn't like about the session um, and what suggestions you have for future webinars. And once again, today's session uh, is being recorded and we will send you the link to the recording when it's published um, on our website. Uh, and we will also um, uh, prepare the responses and we'll um, send that document to everybody after the session as well. So thanks again, everyone. Stay well and safe um, and enjoy the rest of your day. We will see you next time. Thank you. Thank you.